Welcome to the Convergence Church Podcast. Our vision at Convergence is to encounter Jesus and transform cities with His power and His love. If you'd like more information about Convergence and how to plug in, you can visit convergencechurch.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy this message. Convergence exists. This is our vision, to encounter Jesus and transform cities with his power and his love. So if you're here and you're like, why are we singing about Jesus the whole time? Because it's all about Jesus. We're not going to change the channel here. Because every channel we change to just is Jesus. It's Jesus. How do we get peace? Jesus. How do we get set free? Jesus. How do we find salvation? Jesus. How am I righteous? Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. There is nothing like Jesus. There is no one like him. All right. Vision Sunday, I want to announce this, November 12th. Uh, We're going to be just sharing some of the vision that the Lord has put in our hearts as a team and just for where the Lord is taking us in this house. So I just want to invite you, you can mark that date on your calendar, November 12th. Um, All right, pray in all caps because it needs to be in all caps. It really needs to be even in font that's way bigger than that. I told you last week just to be praying, and I don't want us to stop praying. Pray for what's going on right now. You can feel the shaking, can you not? And real quick, I just want to share something. Um, Obviously, many of you know there are demonstrations happening all over the world right now in response to what is going on. You can see it all over the news. You get on your social media feed, you're going you're gonna to see it. You're going to see it. And I want to encourage you, it's great to be informed. But what are you tethered to? What are you tethered to? Because if your heart is more tethered to media, you're missing it. Your heart has to be connected to Jesus. It has to be connected to what God is doing. We have to go higher in this season. We did this all the time in, in 2020. It was like we were so, we, we could get so stuck in what's happening in the natural, and it was like God's like, go higher. My ways are what? Higher than your ways. Thank God. Because right now, sometimes it doesn't look like there's a way. It doesn't look like there's a good strategy. It doesn't look like there's good words to say. It doesn't look like we have any answers. But guess what? His ways are higher than our ways. All right, that's not what I'm preaching on. But I feel it's so important. Um, And so I just want to read this to you. This is just a statement I wanted to read. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's found in Psalm 122.6, if you're looking for a reference there. So we pray for and stand with Israel. But listen, God hates acts of evil. And what Hamas is doing is demonic and evil. 
And it needs to be called out for what it is. It's evil. It's demonic. Can we agree with that? Okay. This is more than just people doing evil things. This is outright demonic, and it needs to be condemned. We cannot, nor will we ever condone the actions of Hamas or of terrorists. There are consequences for the actions that they've taken, but we also know this. Listen carefully to me. Jesus loves the Palestinians. And his heart, listen, is for all to see him as king, both Jews and Arabs alike. Also, in the midst of all of this, we know that we serve a Jesus that can save even those that seem the furthest away from him. Listen to me. What happened in Acts 9? Oh, come on. In Acts 7... Saul oversaw the stoning of Stephen. In Acts 9, he becomes one of the greatest messengers of the message and the plan of Jesus because he encounters him on the road to Damascus. So tell me that my Jesus can't save. Tell me that he can't do it. Mm. Listen to me. One encounter with the man in white led to peace in the entire region in Acts. Therefore, and I want to commission us as a body, as we pray, I want you to allow your heart to get his heart for Saul to Paul salvation encounters. This is a spiritual battle ultimately. Why? Because the only form of peace, I'm saying the only, you can try earthly forms of peace, and we've tried that, and it's just not working. Why? Because the only form of peace that will work is the peace that surpasses all knowledge and understanding that is found only through Yeshua. It's found only through Jesus. So I want to just commission us as a church. How many of you saw that video with the ISIS guy? Did you guys see that? Oh, maybe we need to play it. Do we need to play it? All right, let's do that. After a two-year stint in Pakistan, Javid was arrested in Malaysia for carrying illegal passports. He was thrown into prison. There, he had a strange encounter. And I would just uh, meditate in the verses of, of Quran. And once as I was doing that, I felt just a fear just filling my heart. And I felt literally a presence of a spirit. Uh, this, this spirit immediately made me feel like my life is in danger. I knew in my heart uh, what we call shayateen. Uh, satanic, demonic spirits. So I started rebuking it in the name of Allah and I just cried out in Farsi, my own native language, said, God help me. And the moment I said that, as clear as you hear my voice, I heard a voice. And that voice said, bring the name of Jesus. And the words that came out of my mouth sounded without thinking, Jesus, if you are true, show me yourself. 
And before I was finished with the sentence, that spirit had run away. And that, uh, that is how my story basically began. That is not my story of conversion, but that's the beginning of my confusion. He had another strange encounter in his cell. And then I felt the whole room filled with the holy presence of God. It is as if time stops. You know things about God without him ever saying anything to you. The first thing I knew about him was his holiness. I knew he's a holy God. And um, I knew that he's just. And I knew immediately that uh, simultaneously these things are going through my mind and my heart. And I knew I'm unholy. This is in spite of all the good things I've done in my life. I knew that I have sins in my life, and I knew that uh, he's just and he must judge me, and because of his justice, I deserve death. At that moment, I felt a touch on my left shoulder and a voice that says, I forgive you. And uh, I didn't understand. I did not understand. Uh, what, how could that be possible? Because, because I had heard Allah is forgiving and merciful, but we cannot know his forgiveness till the day of judgment. So I said, who are you that forgives me? And I feel forgiven today. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I did not understand what that means because I had never heard those words. So I said, what is your name? And he said, Jesus Christ, the living God. I fell onto the floor and I just wept. He told his fellow prisoners what happened. Some shunned him, others followed him to faith. Jesus. 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 What did Stephen say when he was being stoned? He said, do not hold these sins against them, Lord. What did Jesus say when he went to the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a higher way that's happening right now, and I believe that we can partner. We can partner with all of it. We can partner with what he wants to do in, with, with justice and righteousness, but we can also partner with mercy and forgiveness. Yeah. It's not mutually exclusive, believers. Come on, can we get out of the, the let's all go over here, let's all go over here. Did you know that you can have justice, but also you can have his justice, his forgiveness, his mercy and grace in time of need? It's all available. Can you imagine? Jesus just laying, after all that you've done, he lays his hand on your shoulder and he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. That's powerful, is it not? So I want to just say a couple more things and then... <clears throat> I got to preach. We may have to have a part two of this sermon today. Um, I want to commission us. I really felt this word for us as a body that we are to be 
really stepping in to be watchmen on the wall in this season. Um, I felt like the Lord gave me Nehemiah 4 verse 9. If you don't know the story of Nehemiah, uh, they're trying to rebuild the wall. And Nehemiah does this. He says, but we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. And so Nehemiah sets up a guard so that they can watch in case something is happening. In case there's an attack, they can watch. And what I want to commission us into is this. As a community, to be on a guard day and night, meaning to take up a stand and place of prayer beyond just the normal place, but a deeper place of intercession and crying out for what is taking place right now. I was up in the middle of the night, and I was like, Lord, why am I up? And for a while there, I wasn't sure, and then I really felt burdened in my heart in a good way to pray for what is happening Pray for what is happening with Israel. Pray for what is happening with the the Jews and the Arabs. Pray for peace. Pray for his heart. Get his heart. And I just want to encourage you, get God's heart. Don't just side with, don't just go all over the place and get tossed to and fro. Get God's heart. Can we do that as a community? All right. All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. All right, I'm going to approach a massive topic today that we could talk about all year and never fully grasp it. <laughs> Some of you are like, why are we talking about it then? And one reason is because I, f- I feel that right now in this season, it's important that we talk about Jesus' return. And it's not something that I even feel like we approach that often in church. And I think one of the reasons we don't approach it is because of the vastness of the subject. We get a little terrified of it, right? We read Revelation and we're like, whoa, sapphires and, you know, all this stuff. And we're like, what in the world is going on, right? And so we kind of shy away from it. And so I want to approach this topic And so the the title of my message this morning is Harvest and Holy Spirit, the Return of Jesus. I want to pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, we thank you that while we condemn what's happening, Lord, we also pray for your mercy and your forgiveness and for your presence to fill. We love you, Jesus, in this place. And even as a people, Lord, right now, as we can feel the the shaking, Lord, we just look to you and we say, come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. So we love you in this place, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. All right. So what I want to do in 30-ish minutes is connect the return of Jesus with the harvest. And I really believe that we as believers are to be like John the Baptist in this hour. What was John the Baptist's cry? Prepare the way of the what? Of the Lord. Make straight the pathways, right? And so what was John the Baptist? He was a prophet. He was preparing the way of the Lord in a time where Jesus, he hadn't necessarily shown up in his ministry on the scene yet. And John the Baptist is decreeing, prepare the way. 
And what I believe in the hour that we are living in is that as we draw near to his return, we are to prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. All right, disclaimer, number one. We could spend months on this topic. I already said this. So I'm going to step us in, but I'm not going to go in depth. So don't get upset at me if we don't touch all the big hot-button things. Okay? There's a whole lot of stuff. Pre-trib, post-trib, rapture, tribulation, millennium. There's a lot of things in this subject. Yes? Okay. We're not going to be able to hit them all this morning. So as we approach this subject, it's important to recognize you must be willing to wrestle with Scripture. We wrestle with passages that may say different things. We wrestle with numbers. We wrestle with timing. We wrestle, but we stay true to what we know, and then we allow ourselves, listen to me, to not be okay, to, to be okay with not knowing. Okay? We have to approach Scripture as much as we can without filters or bias. And it's not easy to do that because we all approach Scripture with a filter. Even if we don't know we do. We begin to interpret passages out of that filter. And that's why theology is not meant to be one person dictating what it all looks like. We need community. We need help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us bring this out. Okay? So we ask questions. We look at the context. We get perspective from the Holy Spirit and our community. All right, my framework for the return of Jesus as a young adult came from a popular book series called Left Behind. You guys are laughing, but this is real, okay? I read every single teenage book in the Teenage Left Behind series, all of them, and there were like 60, okay? And growing up, I, I, let, I was reading this book, and... I got swept up in all the stuff that this book carries. And honestly, as I was reading it, I was not reading the word alongside it. I was just reading the book series. And what I got caught up in was I began to realize my eschatology or the study of the end times looking to Jesus' return was more framed on being afraid of being left behind than it was on the awe and eager expectation of his return. If I was going to retitle that series, I would call it Left in Fear. Maybe, no, never mind. Let's, let's leave it there. Because, and again, I don't, I don't know the heart behind the series. I don't know. I'm not going to judge any of that or go there. But the reality was the series began to spark things in me that actually made me want to shy as far away from the end of this book as I could. And I became afraid of Revelation. I didn't read it. And so I want to really encourage you this morning. This is one reason why I feel really passionate about talking about this. We cannot have a fearful outlook on Jesus' return. 
And if your outlook is more based on fear than it is on Jesus coming, you've missed it. And you've actually misread the book. All right. Revelation is a great book. Do you know what the biggest theme of Revelation is? It's not the mark of the beast. It's not Satan. What is it? Jesus. If you read the book of Revelation and the biggest theme you get is Satan and the mark of the beast, you haven't read it right. The theme of Revelation is Jesus. The word Jesus is used 14 times, but you know what else is used? The Son of Man. You know what else is used? The Lamb of God, the man who comes from the tribe of Judah. All of this is in Revelation talking about one man, and that's Jesus, the only one that's worthy to open the scroll. And Revelation as a book, when you read it, you also have to realize something. Revelation does have a lot of symbolism in it. Um, There's symbolism in visions and dreams throughout the Bible. John is having a vision. I'm reminded of Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream with the cows. Can you imagine? You're like, okay, what do the cows mean, right? And Joseph needed to help provide an interpretation. The same is true of Daniel when he came before Nebuchadnezzar, right? It's like, what is this big statue? What's going on? Well, Daniel was able to bring interpretation to that. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us interpret what's going on here. Yes? And so when we read it, we need to look for meaning and understanding, but we also need to realize that we may not know the fullness of this until he comes. And I believe that we are living in the days when we're living in the Matthew 24, 8, where it says that this is the beginning of birth pains. I believe that we are drawing near to his return. I believe that we're getting closer. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. And I want us to be ready and alert and to be watchful. So we have to get a greater perspective and we have to be ready. All right, I want to break this message down into three parts this morning, and I may not get to all three. The first thing I want to talk about is what we know. What we know. Then I want to talk about what we don't know. Okay? Listen to this. The doctrine of the second coming or advent of Christ refers to the future return of Christ to earth at the end of the age. This return will be visible and physical as he comes down from heaven on the clouds to bring final judgment and salvation. It is often associated with the great day of the Lord in the Old Testament and corresponds to the messianic prophecies anticipating the Messiah coming as king of kings in victory and glory to triumph over all the enemies of God and his people. The New Testament focuses primarily on the Messiah's first advent with the ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus who came as a sinless, sacrificial lamb to make atonement for sin and provide salvation through faith in him by inaugurating the new covenant. But the New Testament also contains numerous references to the second coming of Christ who will come again to bring all things and all history to its proper conclusion. There is going to be a final redemption for all of the results that the fall has brought. Final redemption on the earth as Jesus returns. And that is worth looking forward to. That's why Paul in Titus chapter 2 
what does he say? He says he looks to the blessed what? Hope. We get to look to the blessed hope. We have hope now, but there's a blessed hope that's coming. And the blessed hope that's coming is going to set all things right. This is why we say that we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. We are saved, we're being saved, that's sanctification of our soul, but we will be saved is the salvation when Jesus comes and brings final redemption to the earth, and it is something to be eagerly anticipating, expecting, and crying out for. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. All right, so what do we know? What's the first thing that we know? He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. I want you to take notes this morning if you have the ability to do that. And, I, and we're going to be all over the Bible, so get ready to practice your sword drills. Okay? I want you to turn first to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. My Bible has the title of this is Signs of Christ's Return. And I want you to look specifically in verse 29. So if you're taking notes, the number one note you need to write in really big letters, caps if you want to do it, Jesus is returning. All right, Matthew 24. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What does it say in verse 30? The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Verse 31, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together the elect, or they will gather together those that believe in him from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. I love this quote by Matthew Henry. He says, at his first coming, he was set for a sign that should be spoken against. But at his second coming, he's a sign that should be admired. He was spoken against and crucified, but man, when he comes, all will see him for who he really is. All right, his return will be sudden, and it will be visible for all to see. Did you catch that language about... In, in Matthew 24 there where it says he will appear and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will all what? See him. This is not a secret Jesus returns and we're all looking for where he went and where is he and did he actually return? No, this is like every single person knows Jesus is here. He's here. He's going to split the sky and he's going to come. Revelation 1, my mom read from Revelation 1 earlier. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. This is verse 7 if you want to take notes here. And every eye will see him. Listen to this. Even those who pierced him. Oh, that's powerful. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be a man. In Revelation 19, we see that it refers to a marriage feast. In Revelation 19... Verses 11 through 19 describe the coming of Jesus. Verse 
And it says this, starting in verse 11. And I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isn't that a cool picture? What's the point of this passage It's to reveal the power, the beauty, and the majesty of Jesus when he returns. He's coming again to establish a table here on the earth with a feast for us to dine with him. All right, what's the second thing that we know? We know what he's going to establish when he comes. I want you to turn with me to Revelation 21. Is this good? We're, we're going to teach this morning, okay? Revelation 21, look at verse 1. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them verse 4 and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away verse 5 and he who sits on the throne said behold I am making all things new. And he said, write for these words are faithful and true. What do we have in this passage? We have Jesus returning and establishing a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. What's the point? The point being that heaven will come to earth and the old earth will be no more. What does that mean? It means there will be no more sea. That's in Revelation 21.1. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more weeping. There's no more pain. There's no more curse. And there's no more night. Oh, come on. This is good news. This is great news. This is part of why it's the blessed hope. Because on earth there's suffering, on earth there's trial, on earth there's pain, on earth there's loss. But when Jesus comes back, none of that is going to be what we're going to feel. We're going to see those that we've lost in heaven. We're going to see what the Lord is doing. We're going to get to dine with him at his table. And we are going to get to reign without pain, without death. And there's not going to be darkness, there's going to be light. That is great news. And you know what? This is partly why we need to talk about this. Because this should frame the way that we live our lives. I remember when Emily and I were going through great loss. We lost four babies in a very quick time. And I was dialoguing with the Lord about it. And the Lord was talking to me about how my reward actually isn't just, it's not about just a reward on earth. It's about a reward in heaven. 
If you have an eternal perspective, it changes everything. And you begin to not just see things here on earth about promises and rewards and things that honestly people fall away from the faith because they're so anchored to earthly promises, they're missing the eternal realities. Oh, that's a word for somebody. And so the Lord began to put something in Emily and I's heart where we began to cry out at a deeper place. In the midst of loss, we began to cry out from a deeper place of saying, come Lord Jesus. We look to heaven, we look to his return, and we look for the day when there will be no pain, no loss, no death, no mourning, no crying. We'll be with Jesus. And we get to look forward to that day. You need to have an eternal perspective. Because if you don't have an eternal perspective, it's going to be hard to stay anchored. Because your anchor is going to keep moving the more that things begin to shake. we got to be anchored to him. we got to have an eternal perspective. Okay, so it's important to understand Jesus has already defeated death. And we as believers must see Satan as underneath our feet through what Jesus has done. But... We also await his complete and final destruction when he is cast into hell. Satan's days are numbered. They're numbered. So we will continue to rule and reign with Jesus for all time. All right, number three. Third thing we know, where is he returning? I'll give you a hint, not America. I'll give you another hint. It's not Europe. It's not Asia. He's returning to Israel. He's returning to Israel, specifically the east gate on the eastern side of the Temple Mount that faces the Mount of Olives. Okay, how do we know this? Let's take a step back. How do we know this? Okay, Ezekiel 43, verse 1. Then he led me to the gate. I love that Seth read this in our pre-service prayer time. I don't even know that he knew I was going to bring that up. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory. Oh, come on. This is getting good. All right, Matthew 24, verse 27. I'm going to go fast. You're going to have to write these down. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. What am I getting at? He's coming from the east. Okay? But how do we know more? Well, I'll tell you. Zechariah 14 verse 4 says this. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which is in front of Jerusalem on the, what, east, seeing the theme here, and the Mount of Olives will be split in in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. There it is. This is modern-day Jerusalem. They've built a giant mosque here, by the way, and they've actually walled up the east gate, which is what's circled there. That's the east gate in modern-day Jerusalem right now. 
Here's what I want you to do. This is really, really important because this takes scripture and it puts it into modern day reality. Jesus is going to return and he's going to come through that gate and he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and he's going to rule and he's going to reign. And what does this also do? It should connect your heart deeper to Israel. This connects my heart deeper to Israel. The more that I have to get out of my kind of American national thing, I I step into the greater picture, which is God. Jesus is returning to Israel. He's returning through the East Gate. He's coming. And yes, he's coming for me. But he's coming for all of us. And he's coming for Israel. He's coming for the Jews too. He's coming for God's people. He's coming. All right. (laughs) What we don't know, and this is a lot, so get ready. I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to have to run. All right. The first thing that we don't know, when. Now. This is really, 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 really important. Please listen carefully to me. There are a lot of people that like to try to prophesy when Jesus is coming. Any prophetic word about the exact time when Jesus is coming needs to be flushed. Why? Because it contradicts the word. If you're listening to a prophetic voice that is saying he's going to come at this exact time in this exact way, we don't know. And the Bible is very clear on that. What do we believe about prophecy? We believe that it must be tested. We believe that we have to be accountable to the word of God. So we can't just start saying stuff and doing things. And by the way, there have been prophets that have prophesied this and it's long past. We need accountability in that area, okay? All right, Matthew 24, verse 42 says this. Therefore, be on the alert for what? You do not know which day your Lord is coming. That's pretty clear. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at the time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready as well for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Okay. Listen to this quote by William Tyndale. He says, The Son of Man, like the burglar, does not advertise the time of his arrival. The only precaution, therefore, is constant readiness. So we do not know. One other thing to keep in mind as you read Scripture is the the phrase, the last days, is used 11 times in Scripture. And guess what? It's not just pointing to when Jesus returns. The reality is, is in the book of Acts, they were living in the last days. We are living in the last days. So we can't just look at the phrase, the last days, and go, man, we're in the last days. That's true, but they were also in the last days, and we're going to continue to be in the last days, We're just eagerly awaiting his return, but we don't know when that is. Okay. Acts 1 verse 7. But he said to them, it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority. That's almost a little bit of a rebuke there, isn't it? 
So if the Father has set this time by his own authority, part of the beauty of the mystery of it is that we won't know and that's okay. But we're supposed to be ready. All right, number two, we don't know exactly how it is all going to happen. Okay, there's, a, a, there's so much here. There's a lot of millennialisms and there's a lot of viewpoints, okay? There's historic premillennialism. There's dispensational premillennialism. There's postmillennialism. There's amillennialism. Okay, every, there's different things, different opinions, different outlooks on all of this, on how it's going to happen. And I don't want us to get too bogged into this this morning, okay? Go research it and find some things for yourself. The, one of the biggest differences is mainly with the millennium or the 1,000 years reign of Jesus, which you'll find in Revelation 20, verse 1 through 6. I don't have time to talk about all this, okay? So go research it. Maybe we'll touch on this at a later date. Okay, but I do want to hit, I, I hit some hard things. I want to talk about the rapture for a second. Because I believe that the rapture is one of the most greatly misunderstood things in Scripture. And I think it's one of the biggest things that has caused the most fear. Is this idea that what happens if we're stuck here, left behind, right? What happens if we're left behind? All right, so the premise of the rapture is this, that Jesus is going to pull Christians out, essentially allowing us to escape with him into heaven. Okay, the word rapture has Latin roots, and it means carrying off. And the scripture most, most quoted for the rapture is 1 Thessalonians 4.17. You can write that down. And it says this, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another in these words. Um, those who specifically believe in the rapture believe that this is when believers will be taken into heaven, typically before what they call a great period of tribulation occurs. Okay? Now, if you believe that, that's fantastic. I have a slightly different point of view. And I'm going to tell you why. You don't have to agree with me. You can disagree with me, and that's fine. I take this verse literally. What does that mean? It means Jesus is returning, and we're caught up to meet him in the air as he comes. Meet them in the air. It doesn't necessarily say meet them in heaven. It doesn't say we're escaping into heaven. It says we're meeting the Lord in the air as he comes. Literal interpretation of this passage, okay? There's another passage in Matthew 24, 40 through 41 that people like to also equate to the rapture. And I will read that real quick as well. Is this okay? Is this good? Okay. I know, I'm going deep this morning. All right, 40 says this, There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Now, if you just read those two verses, you would agree with the rapture. That's the honest truth. However, if you read the context, it, things begin to change. And the context of this is in the days of Noah, they did not understand until the flood came and took them away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. This is talking about 
judgment. It's actually talking about that some will be some, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left, meaning one will reign with the Lord and the other, unfortunately, will experience judgment. And this is just a reality of Scripture. And this is why we need to be preaching the gospel too, is that there is a reality of heaven and there is a reality of hell. And we need to preach the gospel because we want to see as many people come to know the Lord so that they will rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever. But the context of these verses, in my opinion, is not talking about a rapture. I, I think that this is something that we all need to do our research on. But the reality is when you look at Scripture, you will not find anywhere else in Scripture where believers escape the day of trouble. Believers don't escape trouble. We're to overcome we're to overcome. We're to sustain and stand in days of shaking, not just escape it. I don't find that in my Bible personally, okay? <laughs> Man, there's so many things I could talk about. All right, I want to skip ahead. I'm going to talk about preparing the way of the Lord. How do we prepare for his return? Matthew 24, 42 through 51 talks about being ready. Be on the alert. You're to be ready. And actually, when you look past Matthew 24 and you go into Matthew 25, he begins to tell a parable about ten virgins. Five had oil. And they brought oil, and five did not bring oil. And in the, when he returned, the five that did not had oil actually missed their opportunity. That's sobering. What does that mean? It means we need to be ready and get oil. We need to have oil. What does that mean? It means that we need to spend time with him, read his word, know his word, believe his word. We need to be so integrated with God's heart and what he's doing that we have oil in that day to be ready. The point is be alert and stay tethered to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. What's the point? Hold fast to the word of God. Stand on the gospel. I love this quote by Michael Koulianos. He said, If the church has a standing issue, the church has a gospel deficiency. What's the point? If you're unable to stand in this hour, you don't understand the gospel. We're missing it. We've watered down the gospel. Meaning we don't understand in our heart the power of the gospel that allows us to stand in this hour. You cannot get through these days with head knowledge. It's not going to work. So listen, if we know it in our head, that's fine, but it has to be a heart conviction. And if the gospel is not rooted in your heart, that's where it's going to be hard to overcome. 
Because you're going to be attempting to overcome by following knowledge wherever that leads. And it will lead you astray. you got to be connected to the heart. The fruit of the gospel in our lives should reflect Jesus. doesn't mean we do it all right, but it means that people should be able to look at my life and say they know Jesus. A heart fully given over to and walking with Jesus will produce fruit. Meaning there will be works that follow. This is why James says faith without works is dead. He's not talking about working for the gospel. He's talking about our faith should produce good works because our heart and our life is his. This is why we can't just quote scripture. We can't just have nice Christian bumper stickers. We can't just post on social media. We have to actually believe Jesus at his word. We have to actually believe in the power of the body and the blood. We have to actually believe that it is through Jesus that we can stand. His spirit, the Holy Spirit, allows us to walk in power and authority through faith in him. And as we get closer and closer and closer and there's false prophets and there's people trying to lead you away from the narrow road, you have to stay on the narrow road. Because it is the only way that leads to life. And few will find it. Be ready. This is part of what being ready looks like. There, listen, culture has created a very wide road. They have created a giant wide road that they still say leads to life. But guess what? It leads to death. Because the only way is narrow. Why is it narrow? Because to be quite honest, it's not necessarily easy. It's, it's, not, it's not always the popular way to do things. It's narrow, but it is the only way to find life is to stay on the narrow road. Second, looking to his return should fuel us to be a witness. Listen, this is really, really important. We live in this beautiful tension. Sometimes you need to look, you need to think about the beautiful tension. Here's the tension. Eager expectation and active participation. And you can do both. Eager expectation, that looks like, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. And we can be there, and we can not just sit on the couch and be there, but we can also be over here saying, I am going to preach the gospel until he comes. So what am I doing? I'm eagerly expecting, come Lord. I'm also saying because of that, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I'm eagerly expecting and I'm actively participating. So we don't just sit on the couch and wait and saying, if he's coming, then I guess I shouldn't do anything. We eagerly await him while actively participating. What does this look like? Going after the harvest. We stand for truth and we declare his word and we share the gospel with people. I love 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. It's one of my favorite passages and we've quoted it a lot here. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you declare what? The Lord's death until he comes. So we declare his death until he comes. We declare the gospel. And I believe that we're drawing closer to his return. As we do that, we need to be modern day John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. 
not just looking into heaven, waiting for him, but preparing the way. The angel in Acts 1.10 told the disciples, stop looking into heaven. Why? Because they had already been given an assignment in Acts 1.8. That is, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness. And so the angel's like, don't just look and gaze into heaven waiting. Go be a witness. We got to get God's heart for people. We got to get his heart for every ethnicity, every nationality. The return of Jesus should be something that we long for. It should be something that we look to. And it should also be something that sparks the greatest harvest that we've ever seen. Why? Because we know we need to preach the gospel until he comes. If he is drawing nearer, that means more people need to know him. More people need to come and know what it is to be one with Jesus, to walk in salvation, to be set free. More people need this message. And there are honest, there are people that if we don't get out there and go, there are people that are going to miss it because we have an assignment to go. You are called to prepare the way of the Lord. As things get more chaotic and as things happen, we must be actively engaging in the harvest and what the Holy Spirit is doing. Jesus is coming back for a glorious and spotless bride that is getting ready. We're getting ready by being constantly aware of what's happening. We're on the alert. Right now, you need to be on the alert. What's happening in the Middle East? I'm on alert. I'm praying. I'm, I'm standing. I'm... I'm agreeing with and believing his word, and then I'm also saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Can I share with you the love of Jesus? Jesus loves you, and he desires that you choose him. This day will be a glorious day for believers, but it will also be a day of judgment for those that do not. And that's just the reality we have a choice to choose him. Let's go out there and share his message so that more people choose him. So that there's more, there's going to be more encounters with the man in white. There's going to be more dreams, more visions, and people are going to come to know him like never before in this hour because there's a great harvest as we draw near to his return. All right, we can stand. Revelation 22, verse 17 says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. And so, Lord, we, we say, spirit and the bride say, come. We say, come, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are returning we thank you that you're coming back. We thank you that you're coming through the east gate. And right now we come with an eager expectation of your return. 
We come with an eager expectation of your return, and we also come saying we will actively participate in making your name known across the earth. We will make your name known across the earth. We will not be silent in this hour. We'll step in like Esther did, and we'll we'll stand before the king, and we will plead on behalf of your people. Do not be silent at this time, for deliverance will come from another place. I believe that one thing the Lord wants us to do is he wants deliverance to come. And I think as his people, we get to cry out and usher that in. So we thank you for that, Lord. We just say, come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, in this prayer, we also ask you that you would continue to make us ready, that we would be on the alert, that we would be sober-minded in this hour, that we would see the narrow road, Lord, that we would walk the narrow road that leads to life. And so, Lord, we we just thank you for tethering our hearts to your voice. We will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We will not listen to voices that are not tethered to you, that are not speaking the truth of your word. We will listen to you. We will be tethered to who you are in this hour. And Lord, we just step in as a people. We step into a deeper cry. I just feel like one thing that he has for us with this message is that we're to step into a deeper groan for his return. We're to step into a deeper place to pray for and eagerly expect that, but also be saying, I will go, I will be a witness. The Lord wants to, he wants to release us to be a witness, to see people come to know him, to see people set free, to see people healed, to see demons cast out, to step into the fullness of what he has. And so we just thank you for this, Jesus. And we thank you that you're coming back. You're coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And we just say, we, we want to be ready. We want to be ready for your return. We want to be ready. We want to be ready, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And I also just want to, I just want to continue to commission us to be Nehemiah, to to step in, to be guards on the wall in this hour and to pray for what is happening, to cover, to pray, to stand. We're supposed to stand firm. So we just thank you for that, Lord. We say we will pray for Israel. We will pray for the Jews. We'll pray for the Arabs. We'll pray for encounters with the man in white. We'll pray for you to comfort. We'll pray for mercy. We'll also pray for your justice and your righteousness to be known. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to encourage you to step into this and to cry out for it. We know the end of the book, and this is the end of the book is that he comes and all things are made right and Satan is abolished forever. That is great news. And that is something to eagerly, eagerly anticipate. All right. If I could have uh, just any of our prayer team come up. If you need prayer, you can come forward.
We'd love to pray for you. Keep, keep praying, okay? Can we do that? <laughs> Are you guys there? <laughs> I know this was a lot. It was a lot of, lot of notes, a lot of scripture. But it's important for us to have a framework for this, okay? All right, bless you. We love you. We'll see you this Wednesday night at our Prophetic Reformers training. And also we'll see you next Sunday.